what up everybody welcome to the bold barrio podcast yo uh we have a very 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 uh special guest today with us um friend of mine a brother and we have a great conversation just um uh, in this episode and so i'm just excited to to dive into this um so let's jump in i i want to introduce to you my good friend zach matchett jeff zach. Bamaka. oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> that's what you should have said not me <laughs> zach how you doing brother good to see you, my friend thanks for having me on of course, of course. Can you can you uh, just share a little bit about yourself, and I'll, I'll kind of share how we met and whatnot. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. My name is Zach. Uh, married to Lauren. We'll be married uh, ten years in August. Nice. We have four ki- four kids. Our oldest, Addie, is five. Um, we have twins, Luke and Emily, who are three and a half, and we have a new little one. Yeah, uh, just arrived last month. Uh, Riley Rose was born on March 16th. Wow, that's awesome! Um, so she Congrats. is. Well, by the time we're at the time we're recording this, she's just a little over a month old. And um, yeah, serve has uh, been in ministry, full time ministry for uh, right around 15 years, and currently serve uh, at Northview Church in Central Indiana, um, overseeing the student ministry at our Broadwood Car Broadcast Campus in Carmel, Indiana and kind of do a player coach role. So I am the fifth and sixth grade pastor, but then I also oversee the student ministry and the student ministry team as a whole, fifth through 12th grade. And uh, yeah, love being at Northview. I'll, I'll, yeah, actually on May 1st, it'll be eight years. So very thankful wow. for the church and the leadership. And um, yeah. yeah. Love it, man. I, I uh, So for everybody, I met Zach. I got to, I had the privilege of working uh, with Zach at Northview for, I was there for two and a half years or so. Um, and then I moved back home to LA, but, um, I got, I got to not only work be on staff with Zach, but, uh, for, for a few months, I was able to like, uh, be under his direct leadership in a way, uh, during the residency program, um, and got to learn a lot from Zach um and just even even just being involved in volunteering in the student ministry um just just seeing seeing uh zach seeing you lead um and just seeing that example and just seeing you seeing you serve and 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 pastor with such a passion um was definitely very influential in my life um and in and uh I'm I'm not gonna lie, I took a lot of what I learned from from Zach from just from the whole Northeast students team and and just you know applied it where where I I, I had the privilege of serving in, in the student ministry here in LA. Um and and I love one thing I love about about you guys, Zach, is um you guys have always even even after I, I left and, and moved back to LA, you guys have always been uh been there for me as far as like whenever i've asked you know hey how, how do you do this how do you work through this you know uh kent i don't i don't know if you knew this but kent actually um took some time and and met with uh with our student ministry leaders and just you know answered a lot of the questions that we had regarding small groups and and stuff so um so just big shout out to northview students and just the whole northview church you know i i I have nothing but love and and just a hard 
a grateful heart towards uh towards Northview, man. So thank you guys for well, sure. You, you're very very kind with your words, but uh, you were also holding down with that spoken word rap you wrote for us for <laughs> Easter, which came out great. Hey, thank Larry you, Larry Gonzalez made it made a posthumous experience <laughs> appearance. You know, yeah, yeah. Post Northview life. No, in all seriousness, Larry, thanks for your encouragement. You're doing great things in California, and um, I wanted to make time for this because I appreciate thank all you, your man. input and your insight. Yeah. Yeah, appreciate it, man. So, look, without like, let's just dive into it, man. Um, today we 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 are having a conversation, um, of just the theology of policing, right? And just and just uh, what the Bible has to say about it. Um, and and that's the thing. I I feel like a lot of people don't know that the Bible has a lot to say about policing and. And just everything that we're going through, man, everything that we are uh, dealing with, that we have been dealing with, um, God has something to say about it. And and I think so many times we, you know, we go through we 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 struggle with these things and and we're going to struggle with them. But I feel like I feel like we lack the 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 understanding of what God has to say about it. And, and it it sometimes causes us to be misguided in our response or lack of response in, in some of these situations and, and some of these things. And so we want to kind of dive into that a little bit, um, you know, especially with everything that, that, that has been happening just, I mean, the last few years, but, but it's been very, you know, just in our faces the last year, you know, with, with Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, you know, Brianna Taylor, you know, all the way to now, the last few weeks with with Adam Toledo and, uh, you know, Dante Wright and just uh, seeing the Derek Chauvin uh, trial. Um, and even before the, the verdict was given last week, uh, you know, just the tragic uh, death of Micaiah Bryant and in another, you know, police ki- killing, whether whether it was whether you you see it as justified or not um you know where wherever you stand on it um it doesn't take away from the fact that it was tragic that um you know there are people hurting uh because of that death this isn't and we've been talking about this with Jeff that we're not here just to just to talk about these things and criticize and challenge and and then leave it at that we want to find ways to be part of the solution. We want to find ways to provide solutions. And this is why we bring, you know, different guests. And and so I, I think, too, I, Larry, if I can jump in here. Yes, please. I think I think sometimes what derails this conversation is when we um, when we say we want to see changes in policing or we want to see. I, I don't think we need to fund the police. I think we just need to develop mm-hmm. the police. Mm. <laughs> um, we need to, and so part of that is, uh, the, what drills the conversation is if you speak about the police as a group, the people who are really ardent defenders of the police force immediately go to a very individualistic yeah. uh, way of looking at it. Like by, by saying, That's by saying point. you want to, you want to change the police. That means you want to change every single police 
man and police woman on the force. Mm. Or if you, if you have something critical to say about the police, um, you're they, talking they about everybody. That's right. And, yeah. and I think that's a, that's a, um, that's a very individualistic way to look at uh, mm. things like that. And that's just, frankly, a lot of America, especially in, in the predominantly white culture is that we are a very individualistic culture. And so um, mm. it's, it's hard. We don't really interface well with like more of a collective. Uh, we don't, we don't necessarily make the distinction. And I often say to people that the system is often worse than the individuals in the system. Yes. So you, Agreed. So, so, so you have, and, and I think the scripture teaches this a lot. Um, you know, when in John or when John in Revelation three talks about like the church in Laodicea, you know, in Revelation two and three talks about all the different churches. Mm-hmm. You know, he has some pretty pointed words to say about the church in Laodicea. You got yeah. you are lukewarm and all these kinds of things. The the you there is a collective. It's a plural you. It's not an individual you. Yeah. Wow. Does that? You yeah, you all right. But does that mean that every single person in the Laodicean church so was guilty good. of what was being said about them? It's possible. Yeah. No one there. That's I, didn't good, Zach. This, I didn't see this crazy revelation. But I think what what's more likely is that no, but they're being judged and being confronted as a whole. And the Bible doesn't mm-hmm. seem to make any distinction between those who are innocent and those who are guilty. Mm. Be- because, and I think here's the reason why. Um, the reason that systems become corrupt is that it, it has to come with the cooperation of those who are good to allow the ones who are being bad to stop being bad. Now, ultimately, we can't cha- we ultimately can't make anybody do anything. I mean, it's ultimately it's the individual's choice yeah. to make the decisions that they're making. Right. But, but the reality is, is that someone allowed Derek Chauvin to become the person he's become. Hmm. And, and the Bible doesn't seem to make a, a ton of distinction between the, the individual action and, and more of the corporate or collective um, side of it. Ultimately, we know in Ezekiel, it says that the individual sins are, are the ultimate responsibility. I mean, so it's not like, yeah. you know, guilty by association rules today, according to the Bible, that's not it at all. But the Bible also doesn't dismiss that either. And so I use that as, a, as an example to simply say, that the system is often worse than the, than the people like, for instance, you can be, um, you don't have to be a perpetrator of wrongdoing as a policeman or a police woman, but you, but you could still be complicit in it because you are part of a police force where these things still happen. You Mm. see what I mean? Like there's a, there's a difference. Um, but, but they're still related. And so I think a lot of people immediately want to go to the, Oh, so you're saying that I or our, police force or in this particular situation and uh the reality is like especially with the um the young lady micaiah bryant yeah um you know it it certainly looks like in that situation um that that the use of force was justified there Mm -hmm. regardless if you feel like it should have been a gun or a taser or or whatever they they needed to 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 get rid of that situation yeah uh, immediately because someone's you know somebody's got a knife and they're charging at somebody yeah. And uh, nobody's stopping it. Right. <laughs> you know, like that's not a good situation. That's right. where we need the police to come in and, and take care of the situation. Yeah. Um, but just because um, they, some people might have been wrong to jump to conclusions on that doesn't Im- immediately mean that the narrative is now 
not true any longer. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, so for people that want to say, um, no, the real problem is that, you know, Adam Toledo or, or Micaiah Bryant were, you know, why, why are they out at night? Why do they have a knife? Why do they have a gun? Why are they out? Like, they're the, that's kind of their way of saying like, they're the problem. If they wouldn't have made those decisions, they wouldn't have put themselves in. Well, yeah, well, of course, I don't know anybody in the communities that those people represent that would disagree with you. Right. Um, so yeah. it, it seems a little deflective a little bit. Um, yeah. But at the same time, um, and people, and you said it earlier, Larry, if uh, with Albert Tate, hey, listen, we're allowed to like have a visceral reaction here. Um, we're grieving or we're upset or we're angry. And there's going to be times because we're following people that we're not going to get, you know, get every individual case absolutely right. But but I think what happens is is that the, the people who are kind of tend to downplay more of the systemic problems will say, "Well, ha ha, see right there, like they were justified in in the force, uh, in their use of force or whatever, yeah. and they actually helped the situation." And here you are wanting to fund them, and that, it, it just it immediately jumps to, a, to more talking points without any sort yeah. of real meaningful dialogue. But the reality is, like there there is serious discussion in the scripture about institutional and structural sin. And it's not something that's taught well in the church today, mm. not in the predominantly white church. Mm. It's just not, it's not yeah. talked about to the point where, to the point where people even deny it even being in the scripture <laughs> or people even denying <laughs> right. it being, being even evident in our, our, our country today. There, there have been many politicians and leaders, and there is even some here just as very, very recently yeah. of multiple ethnicities, not just white folks. Yeah. And there's no such thing as systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, so there's still people out there that, 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 or maybe that used to be that way, but it's not now. And, uh, but, but because they're, they're not really um, thinking about more of the more systemic or uh, structural sin. And they don't really know what the Bible has to say about that. They can immediately jump to a conclusion like that. And I, I think yeah. that's premature. So I just want to throw that in there because I think it's important when we talk about the police, um, we're not talking about the police as individual policemen, yeah. police women. It's it's more of the collective whole. It, it's in the same way that a church, if it if, if, if something really bad goes down in a church, uh, you know, you're in student ministry, Larry, if, if, yep. if a volunteer wrongs a student and it takes advantage of a student in an exploitative way it's absolutely terrible and but you know there had to be a lot of different things for that to take place yeah for that to happen but also it was that individual's choice but to some degree the church bears some complicity yeah yeah people don't people don't want a lot of people don't look at that situation and go shame on him or shame on her for that one particular person doing something really really bad to that one student yeah and we're just going to move on and not think about the church People immediately want to go, why didn't the church see this? Why didn't the church have policies? Why didn't they have protocols set up in place? They immediately go to a collective yep. way of looking at it, and they don't make any distinction between, you know, Sister Thelma Lou, who probably didn't know anything that was going on in the first place, and mm. acting like she's just as guilty as everybody else. Like So we're not always being consistent in the way we apply something like this, yeah. but um, I, I thought it was a helpful distinction to at least talk about the individual mm. versus the collective. No, yes, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because that that is that is something so key. And I think I think it's one of the biggest problems. And we've kind of been addressing it without really I think you just explained it so well because we addressed this with with the um 
Atlanta shootings with Robert Aaron Long, where we talked about that, the fact that like, you know, I was saying I I strongly believe that the as the church, we should feel a level of responsibility for that, like or a level of like maybe not responsibility, but it should it should make us question how we're doing things because he he claims to have done it, you know, in a, in a way to kind of atone for his sins in a way and, and also like, you know, help others that are dealing with the same sin, you know, and I feel like there's something there's something that you were taught in 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 your church or something, something went wrong there. You know, and then you add the fact that his parents had kicked him out the night before. At least that that's that was those are the reports. And why did they kick him out? You know, it was tied to what they were taught in the church and the church that were saying, yo, he's dealing with sexual sin, sexual immorality, and it's and it's not OK and you cannot tolerate it. You know, and there's that level of like, we're not going to tolerate it. So if you're going to deal with if you're going to keep doing this, you got to go rather than, hey we got to bring you in closer and we're fighting with you. We're going to fight with you. Right. And I think it's that whole thing of being individualistic, that whole thing of like, yes, your salvation and is, you know, now we're tying it into something different, but I I feel like it's all connected. You know, we, 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 we so often, at least in the, in the Hispanic community, I've seen this a lot in that legalistic, you know, environment that I grew up in. It was like, yo, you it's your salvation you got to deal with that and and if you're not you know you better handle that you know you better take care of that where where it was like well help me you know help me deal with this help that kid deal with that rather than you know kick him and throw him away and and so i think there's a lot of it in in the whole accountability uh, accountability as well as far as as a collective as a whole we should all take responsibility for that for sure, man. Like we need to see everybody step up and, and be able to speak up and say, Hey, you know what this is. And I think that's what we're looking for. It's just, I, all I want to hear you say is, yo, this one wasn't okay. This one, like this was not right. You know, uh, and, and we could have done better here. We, this could have been handled better, but we, it, what you said, it's that whole individualistic thing of like, yo, I got to defend my my mans. I got to defend my cousin. I got to defend my 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 brother who's in the law enforcement, you know, and, and there, there you dive into that whole Blue Lives Matter move, you know, of like, that's going to be our response collective. in this moment. Right. But that actually is more collective. That's Very that, true. That's what I'm saying. We, we navigate. So like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. When when. So we're very individualistic when things go poorly. Mm. And we're very collective when things go well. So we love we love celebrating the success of the force or of our team. Uh, like if if the Rams are winning and we're winning, <laughs> like we just share in their success. You know, yeah. like we stormed the beach at Normandy. Like wait, you weren't that you weren't there. Like maybe your grandfather, your great grandfather was. Like we love mm-hmm. associating ourselves with more of a collective success. Yeah. But the moment that things go poorly, that's so true. It's, it's just like, oh, don't look at me. That wasn't, wasn't me. That was that person over there. Or if somebody's challenged something somewhat collectively, then you're right. It goes yeah. to the individual like, well, you don't know this person. Mm-hmm. Are you saying are you saying that what uh, that that this 
this cop is like what you're suggesting or that the whole force is like that. I mean, it, so we kind of, we kind of navigate in both things. And again, I want to make a distinction between guilt and complicity. I yeah. th- there is a difference. Like I, I don't think um, <clears throat> in the, in the case of the Atlanta situation, yeah. I do think there were some people that jumped way too quickly in saying that church is completely and utterly responsible for that young man's mm-hmm. decisions. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of narrative talking points out there about all the whole, all kinds of things of saying like um, they created him, they allowed him. I, I, okay, well, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. The Bible t- tells us that it is the individual's choice, um, and ultimately that's the way we'll be judged. You know, so. Uh, but at the same time, I can also say that they're complicit in some way because maybe they helped contribute to that, or they didn't yeah. squelch it, or they didn't see it, or. But to me, that's totally different than being right equally as guilty as the evil as the perpetrator. That, that's that's yeah. my point. And so, and there and there's examples of scripture like in Joshua. You know, there's Achan steals the plunder from uh, uh, after God tells him not to do that, and and then when he's caught, uh, he and his entire family are killed. <laughs> we read that as an American, we go, "That's totally unfair." Like their family wasn't even involved in the in the actual crime to some degree. God doesn't make that distinction. So like, again, we're just kind of operating in trying to find right application for what the Bible teaches. But um, as it, as it comes to policing, I would just certainly hope that um, all of our law enforcement officers who are Christians sincerely and deeply think about how does my Christianity affect my policing? That's good. Yeah. Like, do I, do I, have I even thought about that? Like, other than just being, oh yeah, I love God, or I'm a Christian, and I and I do these things. Are you allowing your theology to affect your calling and your vocation? And so, how do you bring your Christianity into your policing techniques mm. and protocols and motives and the way you see people? Because one of the challenges, and I think this might be one area of improvement for the police force, is that we have police forces made up of people. Uh, who are who are asked to police areas of people that they don't have any proximity to, or any relationship with? Yeah, in their own personal life. Yeah, you, we continue to employ men and women from from suburban environments to police blue collar areas, or we we employ people from blue collar areas um, to to police maybe a demographic ethnically that they don't have any relationship with or proximity to and so maybe maybe part of the the way your faith can affect that is to actually be very very intentional if you are policing in an area that's very ethnically diverse is to do do everything that you can to try to build bridges and fr- and make friendships intentionally with people yeah. in those communities um, or collaborate with people who are policemen who are the ethnicity of the community that you're policing to just Ask them questions, and because I think a lack of proximity uh, leads to uh, greater sin and mm-hmm. greater misunderstanding, and so that's just one area where I think our faith can maybe help with this area of policing. And we probably get to a lot more about that later. But that's one area where I I would like the church, as you said, every pastor should be uh, pulling their law enforcement people close and saying, "Hey, I know you have a difficult job here. I mean, Jeff, you do a lot of discipleship." What would it look like for, um, you know, pastors and church leaders to pull together all their law enforcement officers? And I know I'm getting a little ahead of here, Larry, but no, go ahead. Hey, we're going to read. Cha- we're going to read chapter two of Esau Macaulay's book. You know, the theology of policing. 
and we're going to get together. We're going to, we're going to get together for a couple, two or three weeks. And let's talk about this. Let's look at Romans 13 and what it says and just have a candid conversation about that. Like maybe let's not defund the police. Let's disciple the police, you know, yeah. <laughs> for those of us in the church, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I think that's a, that's a, that's a good, um, that's a good perspective. And like, I want to, I do want to talk about that and what you're saying, but I know Larry wanted to mention whether um, it, it was part of the of, of some of the things our talking points whether we have the right to critique the police, right? Um, mm. And 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 I think before because if you've been listening to that podcast, we're 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 heavy critics, um, and and I think um, we've never we've kind of explained why, but we've never really concretely. Told our listeners why it is that we're so, um, why why it, why it is we we critique um, certain areas of culture or certain areas of the church and even ourselves, right? Um, and I think first most what what at least what I think uh, in terms of what warrants our critique as Christians of a organization like the police, but not just the police, the state. Um, and, and whatever organization is that it's something that we see in scripture. Um, for example, you look at the book of Exodus and, and what God does through Israel to liberate Israel from the grip of Egypt, right? From the grip of Pharaoh, just God's movement within Exodus is a critique of Pharaoh. It's a critique of the system that was oppressing um, the Israelites, right? Um, and, and so that's one. And, and probably the biggest one um, it are the prophets, the, the, the prophets in the Old Testament who are constantly critiquing, not the, not the police, right? They're critiquing the priesthood of Israel. They're critiquing the leaders of Israel. The in authority. The, ways, the authority, right? That's exactly the authority, the ways that these leaders are leading Israel. And what's fascinating and what you mentioned, Zach, uh, earlier is this dynamic between the collective and the individual. Like I I'm thinking, for example, about the exile and how um, the innocent in Israel were affected by, by the exile, by the sin of the leaders, hmm. right? They were affected. Um, it, it wasn't just the, the, the elite of Israel that were taken to Babylon, right? Um, the, the, the poor, the widow, the orphan, they were also affected by it. Yeah. Um, and so where the leaders go, so do, so do their followers, right? Um, and I think it's some way, somehow, and, and this is something Macaulay talks about, it's the same with the state and, and the police. Um, what the state allows is going to be seen directly in how the police polices, Right. Um, and so there's a connection. You know, you're always going to have those who go into the police force and say things like, I'm going to change it. I'm going to be different. Um, I'm going to let my faith inform how I police. And that's amazing. Um, but when you're again, when you're in an environment where where you're being where, where you're, you're in an environment that violence is just the, the norm whatever that looks like, right? It could be violence in order to prevent violence. It can be violence because you're, you've become a violent person. Um, those, that kind of environment forms you. 
that kind of environment forms your instinct, whether you admit it or not. Like, and and that doesn't just apply to the police. It applies to everyone. Where you are, your context, your environment, because we're interconnected, because we're we're um, collective people, we're not just individuals, our environments are going to form us. And I'm thinking about, for example, the soldier who wakes up in the middle of the night um, because they suffer from PTSD, um, thinking that, that somebody's there to hurt them, right? They were formed by their environment. And if your environment is constantly bombarded and it's just filled with violence, then that's what's going to form you. Um, and, and so then, again, this is stuff that we don't know if, if it's going to work because this is stuff that I feel like it's cutting edge. No, but like, there's not a lot of people talking about it. You look at, you look for resources on, on this in terms of, of, of combining solutions to policing and, and the scriptural perspective. And you're not going to find many. Um, one of the only ones you're going to find is Macaulay's. Um, mm. But I, I feel like if, if the environment in which these, some of these officers, not all of them, but most of them um, is the, the environment in which they're coming up is a violent one. And then it's forming their instincts and it's forming their way of being and the way they police then like you said, Zach, we need to we need to provide a context in which the way they're being formed is in a way anti-violent, right? That 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 their instincts don't automatically resort to violence, that their instincts don't automatically result to reaching for the gun, right? Um, and it's easier said than done because again, we gotta remember these are human beings. Yeah, these are human beings right. who are in situations that human beings should not be in like mm. we just shouldn't be in like like human beings were not created for violence god didn't form human beings for violence right we look at the creation account and and the relation between adam and eve and the interconnectedness in in in, in creation and 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 the human beings it's actually violence that 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 kind of breaks um, that that distorts the image of God in them. It's violence that this that that breaks the relationship between Abel and Cain, right? It's violence, and and so uh, I admit it's easier said than done. But I, if we can provide an environment in which, in which violent tendencies and 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 violent instincts are in a way counteracted, that might that might result in something you know yeah yeah i think about situations too where we want to bring reform and in the to the policing let's say and immediately people's mind go to these scenarios where a weapon is drawn and it's like combat or we're i'm, I'm shooting to kill or, or I'm, I'm apprehending a you know a criminal and i think if you think policing more holistically there's a lot that can be done before and after that moment that can maybe mm. either mitigate that moment or at the very least um, could maybe make those um, far and few between because inevitably you're going to have those. I mean, th th at, the, at the end of the day, um, the police are there to protect yeah. and, ser and serve the community. And maybe that maybe that's part of the problem. You know, I heard Brian Stevenson, leader of the Equal Justice Initiative, say, uh, you know, the police almost there's some some 
police force that see themselves more like soldiers than protectors, you know? Wow. And so, um, wow. and I think he's got a unique perspective on that because he works a lot with um, justice initiatives and, you know, works with school systems and, yeah. you know, a lot of the school systems and in inner cities, you know, <laughs> you go in, it's like these, these, these security officers are more like wardens, you know, they're more like, uh, you know, uh, hardcore things. And would you, think, well, that's what they need, you know, would you, I, I think would, there's something different. Yeah. Would you yeah. there meet then the differentiation between, because you said that uh, their, their, their role is to protect the community. It's to serve. It's, is to see people, right, um, as created in God's image, right? Uh, they're caretakers. They should be caretakers, you know, not babysitters, right? That's, that's uh, right, uh, right, right, right. But caretakers, like when they, when they, when they're holding people in custody, they're, they're not just holding them on. Uh, like it's more than just um, putting handcuffs on them and you're, you're under arrest. Is they're under your care. You're you're their caretaker. You like right when 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 um when God asks Cain, "Where's your brother?" Cain Cain's response is, "I'm not my brother's keeper." Well, no, yeah, you are. You mm. you, you are a protector. You are your brother's Sorry. keeper. You are your sister's keeper. And so then there's that aspect, and then there's the law enforcement aspect, right? We're the law mm -hmm. enforcement. So there seems to be like, I love what you say, what you said, because then what if we shift from seeing ourselves as just mere enforcers of the law and actually our job is to care for people. Our job is to care for our communities. Our job is to, is to, is to be present for people. Like I'm thinking, like I saw this video of this police officer who, who, um, ended up playing basketball with this kid randomly in the park and they were just playing basketball. And then he comes back a week later <clears throat> and gives them and gives him um, some uh, Steph Curry shoes. Hmm. Um, and I mean, you don't have to give away shoes, right? Um, you know, shoes are expensive, but what if we, what if we, there was a relationship built in that moment. Yeah, sure. exactly. And now what, what would you say to somebody to who 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 has an abolitionist perspective um and what would you say to somebody who's like um you know what like the system there's just too many bad apples there's just too many bad apples and and that means that the orchard is is completely bad like we just need to get rid of the orchard like we need we need something new um what would you say to a person like that which I know it's a hard question. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I, I can empathize with it, particularly people whose um, uh, history, uh, not just family with interactions with the police that have been negative, maybe, but just more historically, I think particularly for the African American community, I could certainly empathize with uh, this needs to be a complete overhaul. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can empathize with that. I, I yeah. do think that's probably, I, I think there's a way to bring reform without destroying the institution. Um, and maybe I'm being pie in the sky about that. That's why I said, I, I think there's a way to bring reform to the police force that doesn't eliminate someone coming to, when you call for help. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? I, right. I, I think, I, I think that what ends up happening is, is, and, and this, 
again, we kind of caricature the other side so yeah. easily and we need to stop doing that. But I think yeah, people may even be listening and what we just described, Jeff, and I thought you did a great job of, of talking about serving and building relationships, those kinds of things. Some people might, might be like, you guys are romanticizing the heck out of this. Like this yeah. is not even remotely realistic. And listen, I think you can do all those things and not be soft. Right. <laughs> I think you do all those things and be completely like not naive and aware of the situation. And, and the fact of the matter is there's like, what's, you know, what does uh, Alfred say to Batman about the Joker? You know, like some men just want to watch the world burn. Like there's going to be people out there that are just going right. to go out and just and, and be criminals and cause a ruckus and, and, and do things, terrible things. And we need people out there to help police our community. So I don't want to, I don't want to go all the way to the utopia, you know, yeah. But let's just, you know, let's, you didn't say this, but like, let's get rid of the weapons and like, let's just go up and shake their hand and try to deescalate the situation. The reality that that's not going to happen. But on the other hand, I think there are dozens and dozens and dozens of situations, what you just described with the young guy, get, uh, you know, shooting, shooting hoops with them. I think there are a lot of uh, people in police forces that do have that type of, type of reputation in the community. And, uh, but I, if I go back to what I said earlier, um, I think, if I was advising a Christian police officer, I would say um, really do your very best to get to know the people in the community that you serve. And if you notice that there are disparities of, you know, more people being incarcerated from a particular ethnic group or, uh, you know, there's more crime in this particular area, um, then look beyond just the actual crimes themselves and like what contributed to that what kind of things are at play? Like, what, is there anything that a police force can do to like basically um, get involved in community efforts yeah. to try to bring change and, and relationships and those kinds of things? Like, are there ways to do that or partner with a nonprofit in the area or partner with a church in the area? Yeah, I think those are so many ways to bring reform rather than just um, what we think in our mind of like a duel, <laughs> you know, a crime is being committed and, and the police are called. And, you know, it's the Micaiah Bryant situation. You have a split second to decide. Of course, those things happen all the time, but I don't, I don't want to make it sound like that's the only place where change can happen is in those situations. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but I think there's a lot of periphery things that can be changed. that can really affect um, a, a lot of that stuff. And I, I, I empathize with people who are like, you know, we gotta, we gotta get a complete overhaul. Um, yeah, and I, I yeah, I, I sympathize with that. I, I don't know if I'm all the way there uh, of yeah. getting rid of it or or and, defund and I know defunding is not getting rid of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. And sorry, Larry, go ahead, go ahead. Like, like I don't know if you want to turn the, the combo, but you mentioned some really key things that stood out to me because, um, for example, you you that quote from Batman, right, and and the <laughs> Joker, and even if you look at the latest joke, like you watch the latest Joker movie and. All, all these themes are in that movie as well. Um, and you and, and, and I feel like in that movie, what you see is the rise of a villain and, and, and how this villain is formed, right? Um, and like, like you mentioned, like we still, people still want to be able to call the police in case of something happens, in case something happens, right? But I think... Um, what about what if we take it a step further? And and I know, like, again, I know you mentioned it and, and, and people might be like, wait, you're being too, 
too naive. You're being too, and I think it doesn't hurt to imagine. I think that's part of the problem that we, we need to be able to imagine a new reality because if we don't, then that's when things aren't going to change. Um, yeah. But like, okay, there, there are people who are just going to want to see the world burn. And, and there are, and you are going to have your villains. You are going to have your criminals. But just like we want to reform the police, and 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 I think that's this is where the cry for defunding comes out. Um, part of it, not all, because part of it is we just we just want to completely abolish the police. But I think another part, which is the part that I've experienced, is what are we doing to help those villains, right? What are we doing so that so that these these villains however it is that they're formed and they're created because they're formed and created people are people aren't just born evil right i mean there you can get into your theology of 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 human deprivation and all that stuff right but um and 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 i believe in human deprivation but i don't think people are born evil you know I, i don't think that that people just become evil for no reason like i don't think villains just appear out of nowhere Right. Mm. Um, there's a lot of factors to it. There's a lot of moving pieces to it. And so just like just like just like we want to come up with ways in which we're able to provide solutions for the police to, to be better. I think as a community, as cities, as as towns, we need to come up with ways and imagine new ways of, of helping people who are criminals, who are um who are seen as villains and, and begin to ask these questions. Why are they being formed? Why are they being created? Where are they coming from? What, what social, what, what social um, factors are, are, are coming into play that are creating those kind of people. And, and it's so easy to say it's the parents fault. It's so easy to say it's because they don't have a dad. Okay, fine. And that's fine. And, and, and you still have to ask the question, well, why don't they have a dad? Why is the dad the way the, the the way the dad is? Why is the mom the way the mom is? And and what can we do to, to help to help those families? Like, for example, right wing Christians they're so obsessed with the nuclear family. They're so obsessed with the nuclear family. And and what I mean by that is for them that's the core of 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 a good society, right? It's the nuclear family. Everything happens in the nuclear family. Hmm. Okay. But you also got to think about the factors that affect broken uh, nuclear families that are broken, right? Um, Because we don't all share the same reality. And so um, what I'm trying to say is um, we also need to think about uh, the villain, um, per se, the the criminal, the bad person here, the one who does drugs. What can we do to help them And, and, and actually be intentional? about coming up with solutions to help them because if if we can if we can find ways in which we can prevent from these kind of people to become these kind of people then crime is going to go down you get me it might never be at 0% but I, i'm positive that if if we are being intentional about forming um and 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 reforming and 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 providing resources for people that are growing up in broken families and and broken environments and being intentional about it and not just declaring a war on them, right? Um, I think change will happen from that side, and it'll just make the police officers' job easier, right? Less crime. Um, 
Um, and then the host, where the money would come from, that's a whole nother conversation, right? And then that's where the whole, the defunding thing comes in. And, and then the other thing I wanted to mention, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on this too, but I, I just, on the news, I I, um, I heard this report that a police, a sergeant was killed. I think it was in Houston. And and one of, one of the officers that worked with the sergeant was talking about a reform in terms of um, uh, guns and how there are too many people in that area who just have access to guns and that this access has resulted in now the killing of a, of a sergeant. Um, and so I just find it interesting. By no means I, I, am I celebrating, by no means do I find it interesting in, in a way of, uh, of gaining pleasure from it. I just find it interesting that that it's just not affecting one side. It's affecting all of us. Mm -hmm. It's affecting where we're, we're now all just killing each other. Right. And it's not just the police killing people. Now the police are killing. I mean, now the people are killing police. And yeah. and it, and it's just a, it's a scary spiral. You know, it's a scary cycle. Um, and and it's just to say that it affects all of us. It doesn't just yeah. affect a certain community. It affects all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I don't know if you got anything to say, Larry. Yeah. You want to no. Yeah. I, I think there, there's so much, there's so much there. Um, and it, it just, it just, it just reminds me of the complexities like that there isn't in, in all of this. Like it, it's complex. It, it's, I even I, w I was looking into um, th this. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of this. The eight eight can't wait. It's like this this thing. The hashtag eight can't wait. And there's this organization doing this where it's like, um, you know, these eight. I think it's these eight things that that need to be changed. Like, you know, the whole banning chokeholds um, and and just all these other other uh, things. The the uh, other police officers, uh, you know, what is, what is it called again? Eight, eight, number eight, eight can't wait. Mm. And, and you can see, and there's a lot of good stuff there. Like there's, I was looking into it and it looked like, yo, these are things that, that should, that should be, uh, uh, looked into that, that every, you know, agency should have. Let me show you real quick. Let me just mention this real quick. Yeah. I have um, them right here. Um, yeah. The first one is, uh, so Eight Can't Wait is a campaign to bring immediate change to police departments. The first one is requires uh, de-escalation, uh, use of force continuum, um, bans, chokeholds, and, sh and strangleholds, uh, require warning before shooting, ban shooting at moving vehicles, exhaust all alternatives, um, duty to intervene, and comprehensive reporting. Right. Yeah, so these are these are eight, uh, you know, use of force changes that uh, you know people are pushing, and and there's agencies that have already, you know, done this. There's some agencies that only have done some, um, but here's 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 where where I was going with this with the whole complex, like just how complicated this is. Even these things, um, you know like 
like I look the whole I look at the whole band, the the banning, the shooting at moving vehicles. Well, what if the person shooting at uh, what if the person in that vehicle is shooting at you while that vehicle is moving? You're not gonna shoot at that vehicle, like you know what I'm saying? So I I I I feel like like that's just one example of how complex I feel this is because you know like here here's the reality the reality is that maybe you know i'm and i'm gonna use this example it's this isn't like factual right i don't like but let's say zach zach where zach lives right uh zach lives in hamilton county right you be, i believe you live in hamilton county <laughs> yeah so zach lives in hamilton county indiana right he he's probably his police agency probably doesn't have to make the changes or the adjustments that we have to make here in LA. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, or in Minnesota or in Minnesota. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and even that, even, even saying that is complex because what if, <laughs> what if they don't have to make, let, let's just say, right. And, Hamilton County has Latinos there. I've seen Latinos there, but let's say, <laughs> let's say, let's say they didn't, right? And I, you know, I move into Hamilton County. Well, there's that like, is is that police agency there still like, are are they set up to also protect and serve me? You know what I'm saying? Like, and maybe they are. You know, you know what I mean? But, but. I feel like it's so complex. Like it's it's so complex because it it goes back to the whole thing of like the you know because I'm with Zach. I'm I'm not all there with the whole ab- abolishing police, but I I definitely understand the sentiment. You know, uh, there the the reasoning behind it. You know, because you're talking about you're talking about the people that their generations before you know speaking on african americans police has never been there to protect and serve you like like for you know till recently you know you 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 started seeing improvement but you know you're talking about police brutality and excessive use of force you know towards minorities towards black people before that you had the segregation right police enforcing segregation that's not protecting and serving and caring for uh, the African-American or any minorities. And then before that, you had, you know, you're protecting and serving the wealthy in the north. Right. And then in the south, they were slave patrols, you know. So police has never been there, hasn't been there, you know, to protect and serve you until now, maybe, you know, with still the whole excessive force and the police brutality that, you know, we that minorities still experience specifically more more so African-Americans. So them feeling like, yo, we got to get rid of police and start something new and start something fresh. I can understand based on that. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, I find that to be, I, I find it hard to see that happening. And then, you know, so it's so complex, man. It's so complex because even de- defunding the police well, what, is, what does that mean exactly? Because because that de, like defunding the police, well, who has control of how that money works? Right. Because if you take money out, 
let's say that police agency, you know, says, well, you're defunding us. So we're going to get rid of cops. Right. Or you're defunding us. So we're going to get rid of some of the trainings because we can't afford to get rid of these weapons. Right. Or how are we how are we using that money? You know what I'm saying? So they're, they're like how how it's so complex is what I'm saying. Right. And so I feel I'm going to be honest with you guys. And this is this is why we're having this conversation, because to be straight up at, as somebody who is not in law enforcement, you know, I've done some level of research and I've done some, you know, studying on some of these things. But I still don't have I'm not at the level of, like to to say, yo, these are your solutions. Make this happen. I'm, I can't speak on that. Maybe there's other people that could speak on that. But I pray and hope. And maybe there already is people within the law enforcement, police officers that are stepping up and saying, yo, this has to change. We got to hold each other accountable. Let's make these things happen. And I did hear that. And I, I believe in Maryland there. Ha- I, I think the whole state has. Has uh, like implemented like every single uh, police department in Maryland. Um, and I may be wrong on the state, but I, I'm pretty sure it's Maryland. Um, they have a like a com- like a community board that that uh, is there to hold accountable like um, police officers. They're able to investigate and say, hey, you know, this right here was was not OK. We we need to take care of this, you know, where not a lot of like this is the only state that has that, that 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 enforces that that has said every police department in Maryland it has to has to do this, you know. So I think there's a lot of these changes that need to happen. But. I I believe that as as the church, as the as the church community, as the church body, we do have to talk about these things. We do have to be involved in these conversations. And and I I feel like the best way, and I'm speaking for myself, and that's the next, that's the next question that I want to ask you guys is how should the church be involved in this con in the in these conversations? I I I feel like because all three of us are here having this conversation, I feel like we can agree that that as the church. We have to be involved in these conversations. The question is how, you know, and I feel like for me is I feel like I have to remind us, remind us of the value of the human life um, because it we've seen this and we, we we've talked about this with Jeff, like uh, these people, the Dante Wrights, the George Floyds, the, you know, the Michael Browns, the Trayvon Martins they are they are sometimes like criminalized into to the point where they're like dehumanized right where their lives don't even like in order to justify what the cop did you dehumanize that life and you 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 know we saw that with George Floyd where you start you know you're constantly pointing to you know he was on drugs he used drugs he did this he did that he you know he you know, he did all these things. Right. But and I feel like we saw this. We saw this with the witnesses that came that, you know, that that spoke in, in this trial where 
a, a lot of it brought the intention of, of the fact that, yo, this was a human life that was yeah. ended and it shouldn't have been like, you know, and that's where we talk about, you know, I don't I don't know if it was you, Jeff or, or Zach who mentioned this, like. Like all these factors that play into part and it goes back to the whole individualistic and the whole thing, the collective, the you know, the all of us have a part, you know, to to see in this because that could have been that could have went a different way had one of his police officer buddies you know would have said hey that's enough man get up you know it, like get up you know yeah. and so i i think i think as a church that's one of the biggest things that 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 i see i feel like we need to we need to one we need to listen with empathy, man. Listen to each other with empathy. You know, I had a conversation and I'm I'm saying in, in, in all sides and some of us, some of us can, can, some of us are just exhausted, man. Like I, 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 I understand some of my African-American brothers and sisters who say, now nah, I'm not trying to have a conversation. Uh, I've had enough of that. Right. And I could totally understand that. Right. But, but, but the rest of us that can, we should be, having these conversations and we should be listening with empathy, man. We should be listening with empathy, you know, and we should speak up with compassion towards others, man. Like when we speak up, when we voice our opinions, which I think we should, I feel like silence, you know, Dr. King, Dr. King mentioned this, you know, silence, uh, silence is not the way, man. Silence does not equal peace, right? We, we, we've heard that too. Silence does not equal peace, right? So we do need to speak when he's the I feel like the Christian community should be the loudest voice when it comes to these things. But. I think it has to be. We have to speak up for the people. Don't speak up for your political like your political alliance. Right. And I, I feel like I've seen that a lot with the Christian community in the last few years is is whenever we respond to certain events and certain things and certain situations that are happening in our country, we respond to it. We immediately respond to it with a political filter on, right? With a political lens on. But I feel the Christian community, we need to take that lens off. We need to say, yo, I'm going to put, I need to, I need to put these political ideals, these political biases aside and come to it with a biblical perspective yeah and they and then to to tie it to to give it to zach i think that's why we're ha that's why we brought this up where the we can't we can't speak on these things with a biblical perspective if we don't understand what the bible says about these things and what the bible tells us about the policing what the bible tells us about authority you know zach yeah well yeah I I think the reality is in our culture today, if you're if you're spending 20 to 25 hours a week listening to cable news or reading social media or yeah. following your fa your favorite, you know, partisan politically partisan pundit on what they have to say about these issues. And you're spending, you know, you, you know, you, you read the verse of the day on you version. <laughs> that was your, you know, man. I mean, I mean, come on, like this, this is, uh, this is an indictment on the church. 
the church needs to be a part of the solution, but part of the solution is owning up to the the part that they played in not uh, pushing people to really think about how does the my faith invade my everyday. Mm. Um, Robert Banks wrote a book called Redeeming the Routines, and he said the hardest theology is the theology of the everyday, which is just the boots on the ground. Like, how does this make sense for me? And so a couple things. One is yes, I I am. 100% agreement, Larry, to say, how do we think biblically about these issues? You know, like in Isaiah chapter five, and we talked, Jeff was talking about the prophets earlier, and it made me think about how the prophets just, they they told the truth, no matter the mm. cost, you know? And in Isaiah chapter five, it, it really outlines three different types of sins. Um, it talks about, you know, personal morality. There's sections where, you know, talking about getting drunk and going out carousing, you know, around the town and, just, you know, just causing a ruckus, womanizing, those kinds of things. Um, it talks about um, the idea of uh, struck more struck like structural sin or institutional sin, things that the average American Christian kind of, kind of, you know, kind of look a side eyed at it, like, yeah. Oh, come on. Like, is that, that's not even a real thing. You know, I just talked about it earlier. What's, is there anything such as systemic sin or systemic racism or whatever the case may be? But it talks about how, um, you know, you, it says, uh, there's a verse that says you go from house to house and field to field and you buy it all up. And now there's no more room for the poor to live. So something that was actually legal, uh, is actually resulting in something unjust. Wow. And then it talks about, That's um, good. and then it talks about how, you know, you, you, you acquit the guilty for a bribe and then you deny justice to the innocent, you know, then it talks about sin being injustice. Mm. So in one chapter of the Bible, it actually attacks sin. Um, and I guess to some degree, idolatry in three different aspects at the individual, more personal morality level at the structural level. And then something that is just injustice that affects everybody. Um, and frankly, I don't think a lot of people know that. Because they not they're not engaging with the text regularly and yeah and uh, again from my context and I and I I always hesitate to share this because I don't want it to be like a slam dunk or to be seen as condescending to people but you know they've done they've done a lot of research pre research forum and Lifeway and some others have done statistics on this but the least biblically literate people in the culture today are are white evangelicals that that read their Bible the least wow. and know their Bible the least. The group that knows their Bible the best and engages with it the most are black Protestants. Hmm. Wow. The, irony of, the, the irony, of course, is that when, when African-American church leaders, and, and I'll say more broadly, non-white church leaders, because mm. I want to and include the Latino community and Asian-American community and others that speak out on issues, whether it be policing or anything that's more the church attacking particular issues or institutions that need reform, it's usually met with this, like, oh, you're race baiting, or uh, you just need to stick to the Bible. <laughs> and mm -hmm. one of these days, I just want one of those church leaders, to go, I want one of those church leaders to one day just go, well, how would you know? <laughs> you're not reading, you know, yeah. the statistics, you know. Man. But in, in all seriousness, though, I, I think about that, like, how can the church step up and provide and really attacking some of those issues? Because it leads to my second point, the more biblically sound we are, we will recognize that it's not just going to be personal conversion that does it. Hmm, yes. Good. I want, listen, I want people to come to Christ. And um, there are a lot of people that were one to Christ in churches that promoted slavery. I mean, George Whitfield, 
famously like held these revivals and, and was very concerned about saving the souls of people, but not so concerned about saving their body. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. um, and, and even here in the, in the country and I, I'm not want to, I don't want to, you know, come and just bash on all these people, but the reality is like, this is, this is why it's not just a personal conversion thing because Christians are still fallen people. Even when we accept a salvation that was not earned on our behalf anyway, yeah. it was earned by Jesus, you know? So there's certainly room for us to be continuing in sin or doing things that are wrong without the work of the spirit in our life. And so I'm, I'm certainly, but what intends to happen is, is that from the predominantly white culture is that it's, it's, um, well, yeah, what's really going to turn the tide is we just need, we need Jesus to come and really affect people in their lives. Well, yes, of course. Um, and my favorite, most, um, two, one kind of surface level example and one very, very profound example, the surface level example is, um, you know, a lot of times it's like, well, if nobody's doing this on purpose, so let's take policing. Um, if nobody is purposefully pulling over people who are black, it's not like we're, we're seeking them out. You know, I hear this a lot. Like, mm-hmm. Zach, do you really think policemen are out there just hunting for black people? No, I don't. But if the statistics bear out that there seems to be an, a, an inordinate amount, you know, you know, they're 10% of Africa or t- it's like 10% of um, uh, this people group use drugs. 9%. I, I don't know the exact statistics, yeah. uh, statistics, but, but yet like, African-Americans are six times more likely to be incarcerated for those crimes, even though they're the use of the of drugs is almost the exact same as other ethnic groups. Like if you, if that's the data and it's bore out like that, but you go, well, nobody's doing that on purpose. And my, my service level example of this is there was a guy that owned a car dealership uh, in the South. And he found out that like why there was like this negotiating, basically you come in with the price and you could barter and kind of go back and forth. And like, there was a, that was kind of the name of the game to negotiate the price of the car. They started running the numbers and they realized that um, white men were getting the lowest prices on their cars. Then it went uh, black men, then white women, and then black women were routinely overpaying for their cars to the point where they were almost subsidizing the, the cost of the cars. And so they were like checking the numbers at the end. And this car dealership owner was a Christian and he had a decision to make because on, he basically has two options at this point. He can a decide, okay, look, I know that nobody that works this car dealership is a racist. I just mm. know for a fact they're good men, they're good women that work there. Um, and because I know that they are not intentionally doing this, um, I'm not going to do anything and our profits will stay where they need to be at. Or option B is we're going to figure we, we can't, have this to happen (laughs) you know there's going to be have to be some change and we're going to lose money yeah um but he decided to go with option b because justice always comes at a cost Hmm. the only way for people to come up is if we come down and that is completely centered guys that is completely centered on the gospel message jesus climbed down jesus climbed down so we could climb up so the extension of that injustice ought to be at least something like that and then the profound example, really quickly, is Robert Linthicum, who worked for InterVarsity uh, Ministry and, and actually did a lot of church planning in urban areas, had a very profound experience as a young man uh, where God really called him to urban ministry. He met a young gal named Eva, who I think at the time was like a teenager, 14, 15 years old, an African-American girl, met her story, came from a very broken family, um, grew up in the inner city. 
And uh, he began to have conversations with her about Christ and sharing the gospel. And she ended up coming to faith, got involved in a Bible study, really started to turn things, you know, in, in a good way. And uh, but she told Robert, um, I'm I'm being pushed and I'm being uh, encouraged and uh, wooed into back into the pro and back to being a prostitute. There's a lot mm -hmm. of pressure around her to get it to get into that. And he said, well, look, you know, the Bible says we need to resist, resist the devil and he will flee. And he gave all the Bible answers, right? Like, you know, don't, don't allow evil to have a foothold in your life and all these kinds of things. And he left and he was there for, like, I think like for a summer and he came back a few months later. And when he come to find out that Eva had in fact gotten into prostitution and he was so disappointed because he thought, man, there's, we're making a difference in the community and we're getting people out of this, you know, really tough part of, of town and those kinds of things. And he got a chance to reconnect with her. And he said, um, Eva, why did you quit your Bible study? Why did you get into prostitution? And she was like, I try to tell you that there's all this pressure. And like, and he's like, yeah, but, but, but why, why, why? And she goes, well, because these men uh, came to me and they said that if I didn't join this prostitution ring, that they were going to beat up my dad. And uh, they did. They actually come and they beat him to a pulp. And then they did the yeah. same thing with my brother. They broke both of his legs. And I just thought to myself, I don't want to see my family get hurt. So I finally said yes. And mm. he goes, oh, he's like, That's, I'm so sorry that happened. But why didn't you report this to the authorities? Why didn't you go to the police and tell them that these things were happening? And she kind of shook her head like, you don't get it, do you? Hmm. It was the police who came and told me that they were going to come and beat up my dad and beat wow. up my brother unless I got involved in the prostitution. So at that point, Robert Linthicum realized like nothing in seminary had prepared him for <laughs> this situation that he was in, because what he realized is, is that, oh, I guess converting somebody and getting them into a Bible study is not going to change this type of issue. We have to do something about the system, because what was happening was white suburbanite men were providing bribes and money to the police force um, because these young African-American women were involved in prostitution and they were not being taken advantage of by people in their own community. They were being taken advantage of by the powerful in the city. And the hmm. police were in on it. And there was major, major corruption. And if I'm a Christian, I can't look at that issue as a Christian. If I'm truly being rooted in the Bible, okay? Come on. If I, if I, go, if I go to Isaiah 5, I got plenty of resources to attack that system. Plenty of resources. Because it says right there, you acquit the guilty for a bribe, but then you deny justice to the innocent. Man. The whole point of the prophets was to come and to bring correction to people who they feel were the people of God were allowing people to be oppressed, whether it was the foreigner, the widow, those kinds of things. And the reality is, is that it's going to come with a cost. It's going to come with an, come at our expense to recognize, oh, we might be benefiting from things like that. We might be a part of the problem. We might be complicit in this. We might actually be the ones perpetrating. And that takes a lot of humility. Yeah. Um, and yet at the same time, I think we have plenty of biblical warrant to say, you know what, we're going to have to give unique attention to these things. Hmm. And it's not bad that we're doing that. It's not bad that we're going after things like um, more systemic issues, yeah. um, like all kinds of things. And, and the church can't just say, I'm going to only try to bring change at the individual level. Because yes, it might confront their souls, but it might, it, it may not confront their idols. Um, you know, Jesus, you know, Jesus Talk almost got, you know, Jesus almost got executed before he ever went to the cross. And it was when he, in Luke four, when he comes to, to the yep. people, when he starts preaching 
And he basically says he's God in human form. He opens up Isaiah and says, I'm here, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm here to, you know, to give sight to the blind, claim the year of the Lord's favor, set the captives free. And what's funny is he says the prophecy has been is fulfilled in me today. And the people are like, is that Mary and Joseph's son? He's that's so fascinating. That's so interesting. He says he literally is God. It's like the most blasphemous thing you could do as a Jew to like say yep. that you are God and you yep. perform. And they merely find him interesting. Hmm. But then he goes on to say that a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon uh, uh, ministered to uh, uh, Elisha uh, at that time. And then Naaman the Syrian uh, was cleansed of leprosy. Um, basically saying there are plenty of widows in, in, uh, in the Jewish community and there are also plenty of lepers. But we went and helped somebody in an area called Sidon, which was uh, a pagan area. Right. And we helped, I mean, for goodness sakes, a Syrian gentleman, Naaman, hmm. who right after he's healed, asked Elijah for permission to go and worship in a false temple because he's he's like trying to do this. Wow. And Jesus says, God told them to be involved in the foreigner's life. Yeah. Essentially saying the gospel is for people of all ethnicities. Yep. So he's made two claims. <clears throat> he says, I am God in human form and the gospel is for people of all ethnicities. When he claims to be God, the people find him interesting. When he says that the gospels for people of all ethnicities, they try to throw him off a cliff. Wow. One confronted the the one confronted their souls for you know for salvation that it's in me, but one confronted their idols, which is that, oh, at my expense, some other people might get help. Some Gentiles might get involved in this you know this this uh, mm. this system here, and. I don't know how I can look at that as a Christian and then think, oh, well, maybe there ought to be something to be done at a more at a more institutional level That's good. and and in bringing reform in those things. And it's not just personal conversion. So that was kind of a long winded way to say, I think that we uh, as believers and as a church, as the church can certainly get involved in these issues and frankly, not get into the political extremism on either side yeah and 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 we don't have to bow down to the binaries i you know it's not like it's we good. have to choose between uh you know because i i actually reject both things i i want to say you know what yeah we need to help re uh, um reform the family structure and provide healthier families and healthier communities um, we need to stop the, the crime that happens you know uh in in our communities but what ends up happening is, is anytime you push against, like, we need to change the police, we need to, we need to end systematic racism. People on the other side will go, no, the real problem is the black on black crime. It's like, wh why can't it just be both and? Like, yeah. I don't know a single black church pastor that is not concerned and is not actively working with trying to reduce crime in their neighborhood. The, the, the mere suggestion that they're not doing that is yeah. ignorant. Yep. And, and frankly reveals a lack of proximity and relationship. Yes. So I don't know why. I don't know why I need to choose between one of those two things. Because yes. the Bible's not, you know what the Bible would say? If, if you say, well, is it really, you know, is it really uh, power structures or is it really just individual behavior? The Bible would go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's both hand. Yep. And, and so I don't see why the church has to choose either. Yeah. We need to attack issues that really help with both things. Absolutely. And I think before going to Jeff, uh, as we wrap up, like, I think ultimately that's what I've, uh, that's something that I've, I've been learning so much right now that, you know, that I, that I went back to school and, and studying theology is I see, man, the church God God is involved in everything, right. In every area of our lives, 
in every every area in the community, in every area in the world. He's he's involved. He's there. He's got something to say about everything. And and it's the same. It's the same for the church, man. Like I feel like I feel like that's something that I've seen in the American church has been we're going to wash our hands and not be involved in this. We're going to stay quiet in this matter. Right. Or, you know, or what you said. And I, and I think I think the individualistic uh, side of things is almost a cop out to not address the 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 collective issues. Right. And and I think I think you you put it. I don't I don't even got to go any further. The way you put it, it's clear. We're called for both. We're called to be involved yeah. in both, you know, and in Christ more, was. It, that's right. And sin is more interrelated than we think. I mean, yes. even with the situation, even with the situation that I described with the Robert Linthicum, with the police force um, being involved in that corruption, you know, Amos um, in Amos chapter two, it talks about how um, a father and a son have sex with the same woman and they sell the poor for a pair of shoes. Like the Bible d- says that sexual sin and economic injustice are part of the same like mm. cloth you know it, it goes that there doesn't make a huge distinction it's it's a both it's it's connected in some way yeah. they don't see a distinction and and so again i i just hope that we're formed that we that we really truly become people of the book mm. and because if african americans and, and other uh, groups that find themselves under oppression whether perceived or otherwise, if they're rooting that in the scripture, maybe they can teach us some things. <laughs> maybe they, wow. because they're, because they, because they're, because it was what I, what I totally reject on, I totally reject the conservative side that says this stuff is, you know, to say the systemic racism is a myth. I, I just reject that. I, I please go and talk with some African-American and others, church leaders that would be able to show you these kinds of things. And by the way, um, if you have a lot of data to support, well, you know, the statistics say this, you know, only this many uh, unarmed people were actually shot. And then, you know, actually, you know, it's more about this statistic and, and not that statistic. We're Christians. We don't let science tell us what we ought to do. Mm. I thought that was frowned upon, actually, frankly, in the conservative Christian right. community. So why do we immediately want to use statistics as our barometer for like what yeah. we ought to do? Only when it's convenient. Yeah, sure, absolutely. But I, here's what I also reject on the on the the other side, which is um, that that there the reason all of this exists is because Christianity has had such a stain on, on so many of these institutions being poor because of the sin of the church. Therefore, we need to reject. We need to reject the church wholesale. We need to reject the Bible. The, the Bible justified mm-hmm. slavery. The Bible did this. The Bible did that. And uh, no, because uh, actually, even the slaves, African-American slaves, founded the very Bible used to kind of justify why they were being oppressed. They actually found out that God disagreed with mm-hmm. the slave owner. So you're, if you're a liberal and you're saying the reason that this all happened was because the Bible was, a, a, the Bible was shady, it's like you're actually just removing the very source of hope that I use to hold people accountable. So you're you're actually saying the slave master was right, and mm. I don't have time for that. So like both approaches are completely uh, fallible yeah. and, and incorrect. Yeah. And do we have? Are we forming the kind of people in our churches that can be able to critique both sides like that? That's good. And root, root it back in the Bible, but ultimately, 
if we're not engaging with scripture and we're not engaging with people that are different than us, that also affirm all of our same core theological convictions, um, then we have to come to the table and we have to have a dialogue about these things. But the problem is, is that I think we're just lumping people in. I mean, Mm -hmm. some of the things that you guys are saying, some people might say, oh, you're just like fill in the blank. You're just like them. You're just like those people over there. It's like, well, not really, because I kind of affirm Jesus as savior and salvation is by grace. And like all these like major, major things that like the other side clearly wouldn't do, but because we're not willing to have dialogue, it's disappointing. It really, really is. And and I look, the only way solutions are going to come is if we talk and we have dialogue like we're doing tonight. But ultimately if it's not rooted in the Bible, then what are we doing? Yeah. Honestly, like if, 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 what, what obligation do I have to do any of this stuff? Do you guys have to do any of this stuff if the Bible doesn't talk about it? It's good. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff. Yeah. Just to finish, um, it's interesting that you that you mentioned Isaiah because when I when I read that text, I see it as like modern. Uh, I see it as ancient gentrification. You know, that's essentially what's going on. Mm. Um, but but there isn't just Isaiah. There's like there's Luke three fourteen with John the Baptist telling the Roman soldiers uh, to not extort, right? Telling tax collectors, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages, right? And 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 those soldiers were basically a form of policing, hmm. a, a yeah. form of policing the, the, the peace of the empire, right? Um, yeah. And then the other thing, you know, in conversation with the, and how the church can can engage in 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 this conversation. Um, a couple of points, but the first one is with Dr. King. Like I mentioned in this podcast before, when Dr. King gave his first speech, uh, when he accepted the role of 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 of, of leader of, of of one of the organizations that was in the forefront of the civil rights movement, uh, one of the things he says um, is that this the way he saw it was that God was going to move with or without him, mm. that the civil rights movement was, was, was initiated by God and that God was going to lead it to its completion with or without him. And I mean, we know how the story unfolds, but the fact that Dr. King took on that stance, essentially saying either I'm with God or I'm against him, either I'm with God or I'm without him. Hmm. And 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 then God is gonna do it regardless, and so might as might as well join God in what God is doing, you know. Yeah. Um, and then that requires a whole a paradigm shift in in terms of how God moves, right? And 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 the things in which God is involved in. Um, and the other thing is that not everyone will lead direct direct action. Not everyone is called to lead direct action. Not everyone is called to to be involved in, let's say, to be at the table with the chief of police and the the mayor and community leaders. And that's fine. Not all of us have to be there. Um, It starts with us having conversations with our friends, our family members, our our small groups, right? Um, And then um, one of the things, and another thing is, we need, to, we need to begin to form people who see the protection of the least of these as essential, wow. right? The, the police, Good. the police, the role of the police um, 
The work of police has to be good news to the poor. It has to be good news to the poor. If it's not good news to the poor, then, then we're doing it wrong. And, and the poor, according to Luke, are not just the, the people begging for money um, on the, in the corner or people who are homeless. The poor are, uh, the meaning of poor is expanded, right? The meaning of poor is expanded to, to people who are, who are ex, uh, uh, being um, marginalized, right? People who are experiencing loneliness, people who, who are experiencing injustice. Um, it, it's expanded, Right. And 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 in that context, the least of these, it was used to describe children and children were at the bottom of the social social totem pole. They were seen as useless and incapable of contributing anything. So the question we got to ask ourselves is, who are the least of these today? And is the role and job of the police good news to those people? Hmm. Right. Um, and then what you what you brought up, Zach, can church leaders disciple officers? And can and, and and can officers who are attending our churches allow themselves to be discipled, and 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 and, and that's going to require a, a a deeper dive into these kind of discussions by leaders. They have to be able to disciple, right? Um, it, it can't just be anybody. Um, and so I think those are some of the things that were just kind of going through my yeah. mind. No, that's good. And and right now you brought that up, that last point. I'm thinking maybe it's time for the church to evaluate what what it's being what it's teaching on a Sunday, what it's teaching um during the small groups, you know. Um and and really think about because it, you know it's not like it's not only the police officer, you know, it's the person that you know is not empathizing with you know with 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 people that don't have don't live the same life as they do right live completely a different life you know but being able to say hey like you know let let me let me sit down with you and understand and and try or at least try to understand you know what you're dealing with what you're going through let me let me be able to pray for you let me like and let me be able to walk with you you know but 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 to the extent of like if I'm gonna walk with you, I'm not talking about metaphorically. I'm talking about li- literally, like you, you, you're coming alongside that person, and you're walking with them, you know. And and I I think that I th- I think I'm 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 realizing this this episode made me realize that this whole conversation of the of you know theology of policing, it's it's bigger than just the policing. There's there's got to be something that we have to address within the Christian heart, right? Within within the heart of the of the of specifically the American Christian, right? Um, you know, I can't speak for anybody else outside of the outside of this country. You know, there's there's been a lot that we've we we've come to realize in in this con- in in our country right now that we have to address in the American church, and I think it's 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 a hard issue that we have to talk about, and I think. Zach, you did a great job in, in just in just I think bringing up to light what what the problem is is it's that that individualism, you know, individualism and and the lack of seeing it as a collective like this is a collective thing, and it makes me think back to the church to the early church right, 
they it was all about community man like even to the to the you know to the level of like the finances and the money and everything else like mm-hmm. you know there was nobody that was like you know nobody within the church was was struggling <laughs> you know if you were struggling the church would make sure you weren't you know yeah. you were taken care of and 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 it's and that we don't like to talk about that as much but it's very contradicting to the american way of viewing you know our money and our and our wealth and our what we own right like well, yeah, just that phrase we like the phrase that the money we own is not our money yeah i mean that 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 if that idea got through how much that would be a game changer that's not actually our wealth it's god's god's money and yeah. we're just stewarding it for a bit you know right and so i'd love to continue this conversation but we have uh we went in <laughs> so uh we're gonna continue and kind of dive deeper into this conversation just so you guys know we're gonna be diving into uh an amazing book um it's called reading while black by esau macaulay we're going to be diving into into specifically chapter two in in the upcoming uh week or two uh, maybe maybe even longer we might even go into the whole whole book because you know it's 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 pretty much the the book is about uh the african-american interpretation right of, of of the bible like their biblical interpretation and you and this is the last thing i'm gonna say you brought you brought this up zach and 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 just you know that the the biblical interpretation of of the african-american community and you you involved all minorities but i would even say like i feel like even even the hispanic community lacks a level of it too you know we we do understand it as minorities we do uh kind of share with it but not i i feel like not as deep as as the african-american community to be honest man you know um and 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 jeff could correct me if i'm wrong but you know just growing up in a hispanic church i feel like many times we we took on that same stance you know our churches took on the same stance of like we're not going to talk about these issues we're not going to talk about these things, you know? Um, yeah. And, and I would say it's not because they didn't want to, I think yeah. they weren't, they, they didn't know how. Yeah. Um, and not only that, but um, most of our family, like they don't come, you, they don't come with papers. They don't, mm-hmm. it's just the truth. They don't come with citizenship. Um, and I, I believe there's this deep, like you're already living an underground life. Um, why why would you expose yourself by speaking into these yeah. kind of issues yeah and, but and i do think though that it might not be we might not share the same interest in in issue or deep concern in the same issues in terms of uh the black community and the latino latina community but the latina latina community does have um it's 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 tradition it's rich tradition in um uh uh theology and and, and yeah. church and social movements but not really yeah. related to um not really related to the police but definitely related to the state yeah and and to government and and to um um economic exploitation yeah um, which like you said Zach 
they're connected. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I think there's a there's there's a level of it it's I feel like the Latino community is is a bit more complex because you have you you have the groups that are like almost elite even within yep. you know the Latino yeah. community, you yeah. know. And and so there's a lot of complexity there. So we're gonna we're gonna dive deep into this. Um so uh I I urge you to to continue check out the the upcoming episodes as well. Um, please share this with somebody. Um, let's have these conversations. Um, you know, reach out to us. 